What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 39 of Drinks and Dogs. As usual, we have myself, Monotone Mike Jones, and then the voice of Drinks and Dogs, Katie Matthews. How are you doing today, I'm good, man. I'm good. Living the dream? Yeah, you know, the three-day weekend where you work the whole weekend anyway. (laughs) I That's not true. That's not true. I... I think, yeah, Saturday and Sunday, I took a chunk of each day and it just enjoyed life. I did work on each day and I worked all day yesterday, but I did take time. Yeah, the, I mean, well, we went, so Saturday was our birthday and we went to Guadalajara, California, which is like up north. I saw some cool pictures and posts on your social media. Yeah, so we got this house for like two days, but it was from, it was supposed to be from Thursday to Sunday, but then um, I had to get back way early to pick up my daughter on Sunday, so we left Saturday night, because the drive says sometimes it's going to be like three and a half hours, but then the first, the drive up there took about six, so I had to like change some plans around. California. Yeah, so other than that, I mean, it was pretty much business as usual. (laughs) But I, I think right now, me, me and my daughter all just dropped off. I drop off Ivy every every Tuesday morning, and she's like, "Dad, she's like, there's no one." She's like, "No one is, uh, she's like, no one's driving today." I was like, "Yep." Yeah. Also, people usually kind of extend their weekends a little bit. I didn't want to be like, "Sorry, kid, everyone's hungover and no one wants to go to work today." So, <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. Oh, shield her and, from the truth. <laughs> and speaking of hangovers, just for those who are watching, yes, this is a whiskey glass. It's filled with espresso. Are we? How many days are we now? Are weeks almost two months now? Right? Oh, we're we're over two months, and what the seventeenth, eighteenth, the eighteenth is my thirty days, right? Every every eighteenth is thirty, so like I'll be on month three of no alcohol of any kind um, next month, and it, it's interesting. So it's not an accident that I'm drinking this espresso out of a whiskey glass. Um, I, I've been playing with various associations, contextual stuff, you know, stuff we're very familiar with as dog trainers. Yep. And it's no different than how you put a different type of collar on your dog or a different type of harness on your dog, you know, specifically working dogs to put that dog in a state of mind, to put that dog into a place where they're making associations with that tool and expected outcomes expected, you know, you know, the deal and anybody watching should know the deal. So what I've been doing part of it as an experiment, just because I'm curious, I'm a nerd. And the other part came from just organic desire. I wanted to, so like, I feel it feels different if I drink, coffee or you know i usually drink espresso and a coffee out of a coffee mug in the afternoon like i associate uh, i associate if you saw my desk right now oh jesus there's 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 lots of coffee mug, there's, there's lots of stuff <laughs> here so like what, this process of holding a cup like this to me is a yeah. morning thing i have a strong association with doing this and holding this with the mornings for obvious reasons 
However, I noticed it just felt different or weird if I do it in the afternoon. And I don't typically drink a lot of caffeine in the afternoon. And since I started drinking espresso, like I've actually cut my caffeine intake down dramatically and I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole. A lot of people think, you know, espresso has more caffeine. Actually, no, it doesn't. American style coffee or Americano has more caffeine. But anyway, I don't drink alcohol. So I put the espresso in a glass that typically I would drink alcohol in. When I go to, you know, and I've I've gone several times now in the past two and a half months to bars. I usually get club soda or an unsweet tea. And I have them put it in love all one of these <laughs> with, and if it's, you know, the places I go are kind of, they're whiskey bars. That's how I got into a little bit of trouble drinking too much whiskey um, where, the, you know, they have like the big ice ball and I'll say, Hey, can I get that unsweet tea in a low ball with a cube? And at first they kind of looked at me. I'm like, listen, I'm not, I'm not drinking right now. I'm not drinking alcohol. Just humor me. And it, it, it's different because of the contextual associations that I've made with the activity, with the environment. And I've had zero issues. I've had zero con internal conflict. I've had zero anything undesirable when going to a bar with friends or even just stopping by the bar because I'm on my bike and I'm near it and and drinking iced tea or having a club soda. Like it, it's pretty neat. It's pretty neat yeah. how how that works. And for anybody contemplating, you know, cutting out alcohol or just trying to do something like that. You know, I'm not preaching. I'm just sharing what I'm doing and I've shared why. Um, a lot of people struggle with the social aspect of it. And in the beginning, I did have a little bit of conflict, like, well, how do I do this now? Like, what's that going to be like? How do I go? I guess I can't go to a bar. And it's like, no, you can go to a bar, dude. Yeah. <laughs> like you can go to a bar. You're not there just for the alcohol. You're there for the social aspect of it, you know? And, and you know, I enjoy just sitting down and talking to strangers. Um, Especially no one would ever have guessed that, Katie. <laughs> and I and they don't know I train dogs. It's, so it's even better. So I don't have to talk about dogs. Um, but people will struggle with that. They're like, well, I don't know how to do that. But play with it. Do it up. Try it. Give it a try. Like order a, your club soda or your tea or whatever and ask for them to serve it in the same glass that you normally drink your yeah. liquor in. Like, why not? Just play with it. It's been There's interesting. A, a company called Hop Water. Uh, it's, I think it's spelled H-O-P-W-T-R. Um, but like this was a while ago, a while ago when I was like really like cutting out weight and cutting out like like uh, booze, like sugars, anything like that. And the hop I was got I got really big into like nootropics. So hop water has like they come in like the beer bottles, like beer bottle stuff like that. But it has like nootropics, like all this other stuff, kind of like a beer taste to it. And like when I was drinking those, it was kind of one of those things where you just you notice that you're used you're getting more like smokers right they're used to the movements not necessarily like the the booze itself it's just like the physical movements that they're kind of that's become part of like a behavioral thing for them and like that's what they're saying about it too it's like just the general association with this you know you know you don't get all anxious because you're not doing something or you know drinking something you know it's just a lot of it's just the basic movements of going through it so they had like a pretty uh, similar concept to it but that's me i'm gonna look into that because yeah I miss, you know, I do miss beer, but I actually stopped drinking. Um, I was a big double IPA guy 
like that was double IPAs and then Imperial stouts. If the weather was a little bit chillier, which in Florida, it hardly is. Yeah. Um, so I was a big, especially double IPAs and anyone who's familiar with, you know, craft beer knows double IPAs are no joke. Um, not only is the alcohol content extremely high, the flavor is intense. It is a love hate thing. And I actually stopped drinking that prior to not drinking alcohol simply because it was causing me, you know, I've spoken, I have some digestion issues and some problems with my esophagus and my stomach. And I was getting wicked stomach problems from drinking the IPAs. And I, I, I miss the flavor. I miss a lot about that beyond the alcohol. So I'm yeah. going to, I'm definitely going to check that out. And if I love it, then they need to sponsor the show. Well, the freaking, uh, have you seen those Lagunitas, um, CBD, T or some of them have THC in them, some of them are CBD, but Lagunitas, no, Lagunitas uh, is, is really a heavy West coast thing. We do have some of it out here, but it's not as, it's not as prolific as it is out your way. So they have, they've partnered with some, somebody in the cannabis industry, uh, and they do like these, like, it's like an IPA, uh, tastes like, you know, tastes like the beer, but there's no alcohol in it at all. And it has like C, like some of them are like CBD infused. Some of them have the THC uh, infused ones, and those are pretty cool. Uh, they come in beer bottles and everything like that too. Uh, well, Corey's wife Andrea, she grabs some from for some for us from time to time uh, from where because wherever she works at, they have like a bunch of that nearby because they're pretty hard to get. But they're pretty uh pretty legit. I mean, they're a little pricey, but um, I'm a cheap date when it comes to that stuff, so it works out well for me. <laughs> nice nice so i i texted you earlier I, I saw that when i uh when it popped up in my so i was getting ivy ready for school and then you're you sent the text and it's the this is the first one we've had uh prior notes per the conversation or ideas before the, the conversation so when you said it, that i was i just looked at it i was like oh, okay well this will be a fun one <laughs> yeah so and and you know just to speak on that for a second, you know, we've said it before, like these episodes are completely off the cuff. Um, you know, you and yeah. I wing it and we just talk because this is our chance to actually talk. We text each other, but like, this is where we catch up on a lot of stuff. Um, so we don't typically have a plan of any kind. It just happens. Well, today, <laughs> yeah, I texted you. And I was like, dude, we got to go down the rabbit hole. Um, so I had put a post on my Facebook today and I can't even, I don't even know why, like, I don't know where it came from, why today it's about a topic that I'm very passionate about that I've been wanting to talk about at length for a long time. I've been wanting to write about it. I've been wanting to get into it and it's pretty labor intensive because it's an important topic. And I don't know, man, like today I just logged on and started typing and it's about human dog relationships in the context of dominance. And I focused on the post in particular on just making some, I tried to be as concise as possible, not write an essay. Yeah. I, okay. So I'm just assuming based on, you know, this is your morning to drop off Ivy that you didn't read the post. 
I right before I got right before you logged on, I was going through it because you know how we have to do that whole Wi-Fi thing here, shut everything down. So I got a chance to go through it. I kind of figured because you and I, you and I have talked about this in the past. We were talking about, you know, obviously the dominance theory and the social dominance theory and the human. I saw the the human uh, dog relation type of thing, but I got I got through majority of it. So you could say it was mostly just bullet points without the bullet yeah. points. It was just in, really. I tried to just be like fact, 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 conclusion, fact, 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 conclusion, summary. Um, because it is, it's too much to, to adequately explain and talk about in a Facebook post. It's really an essay or an article, um, or a conversation. And there's so many avenues to this. That's what makes it difficult to talk about because the minute you mention one element of it, you have a, a potential 30 minutes of dialogue just on sidebar on that one element. And that's what that's what makes it tough. So that post, and I encourage everybody, go read it, check it out. You know, if you're watching this on a recording, you can hit the freaking pause and go read it. Find me on Facebook, KD Matthews at one T. It's easy. They'll put a link right there. Um, I just wanted to focus on a hypothesis that I started it out with, a statement that I made. And that statement is, that when talking about human-dog relationships, referencing or, or including dominance theory, as it was originally stated, is a straw man fallacy. And that's specifically what the post is about, is about the reality that dominance theory regardless of whether it was debunked or not, has nothing to do with domestic dog-human relationships. So the theory in itself was, was, was flawed, but it was based on specific wolf observations. And its subsequent debunking is also irrelevant. It has, it's of no value to talk about it or its debunking. And when people... When you start talking about human dog relationships and you start talking about functional elements of those relationships like leadership and guidance people will that's outdated well what what's outdated well dominance theory was debunked okay well what did dominance theory even say in the first place and that's the essence of where i'm at today you know yeah. in this in this dialogue and and what i'm talking about um, have you, uh, uh, now I'm a very transparent, confessed nerd. I've read David Meech's, who's the originator of all this, um, not the theory. He didn't make the theory. That's a whole nother subject, but <laughs> he was the one who conducted the, the original observations on wolves. I've read a good chunk of his research, not all of it. Cause I mean, that would take you forever, but I've read entire papers and entire studies. And it's, it's very difficult to get through because it is researcher language. It's charts and graphs and sample sizes and occurrences and, and all that. Um, have you ever dabbled in, in looking into all the, the, the back stuff on it? I've never. So like, I'm not a more of someone that's to hear or see. 
so I like reading, I can get it, like, but it's like that, but it's I essentially something's like very dense and like grammatical stuff. Like I just all right, get I just can't. I have to like listen to it or be able to see like what's going on with it. Something like with the like the wolf dominance theory and everything like that. I did look into just a little bit when I got to spend some time spend some time with actual wolves. Uh just because I was really curious about that. And like one of like the like concepts or one, I forgot who wrote it, but it was like it was uh, just looking at wolves to researching wolves to train a dog is like uh, watching gorillas raise their primates to, to raise a child or something like that. I might have I completely just butchered the quote, but I was I was really intrigued by that because, you know, for the most part, you know, in the beginning when you're doing like at least when I was when I was growing up in the dog world, that's like, you know, it's like the alpha thing, you know, it's like alpha, alpha, alpha like all this other stuff like that very dom dominant based training at that time, especially when I went into the sports sector uh but it was just one of those things i was really interested in and not, not being a heavy reader someone who does more like audiobooks and now i'm getting more into the heavy reading i chose to kind of like just basically go into be around the wolves i got a chance for, uh, through aaron in minnesota and seeing that and just like researching them and watching videos on them just to kind of see like what's the comparison and what the thought process is but i never really got into like his actual studies or anything other than what you see like the quotes and like all this stuff here and there but not not a not someone who's big into that it's well listen the reading is brutal like to read the actual research like what he produced and and just so people have a little bit of context here when we talk about david meach david meach is a, a biologist um who specialized in wolves and he did what biologists do he went out in the field and observed it wasn't, that isn't experiments, it was observations. He recorded what he saw and then he made some conclusions on it. Outside of general, just generally being curious, one of the core issues is, and you reference this with that, with the, the primate example is at the end of the day, wolves are not dogs. They're not. They, they're a different species. Can they interbreed and reproduce? Yep. But they are a different species of animal <laughs> entirely. With that being said, if you have an objective mind and you truly are curious and you don't have personal bias, can we learn a lot from wolves that could help us with our dogs? Yes, but I find that area to be small and I find that area to be specifically related to behavioral expressions and communications. One thing that can be said about wolves is their communication is profoundly dramatic. Um, the way they communicate with one another, there's plenty to watch. There's, yeah. there's so much to see. They communicate loudly. And I say, and I mean that figuratively, you know, because it's primarily body language, but they, they're very, very expressive. And and that can be fascinating when you're learning about, you know, canids in general is just seeing how this highly social animal that has to function and survive in a group, how they communicate with one another. Now, does that mean all dogs are going to use those same communication methods? No, no. I mean, some of them, there's some overlap. And and that's where it's like, if you're looking at it, you got to look at it with the mind of, I'm just looking to see how this species of canid 
interacts and maybe draw some objective comparisons. It doesn't mean that's going to be exactly with dogs. Outside of that, man, it, it like doesn't serve a purpose because, and this it is when people say things besides complicated yes. things and creating arguments. That's pretty, that's pretty much it. I mean, like, yes, you talk to like clients. I mean, like I talk to clients all the time. And obviously anyone who watches this in Katie, you know, I say this in the most simplest form, you know, pretty much at all times, but like seeing like wolves and stuff like that. And like real life, you know, they make your normal pet dog look very stoic and the way that they express themselves because everything is an extreme version of it right and even like looking at certain things of the research the stuff that i have looked at into like how wolves do and like how try to people um how people try to train dogs like in the way that they would try to train a wolf it's just it's not compatible and in form and mo and i mean in any and all form it's very archaic uh i mean like you said you know dogs aren't wolves and i tell this to people that who bring this because it's still the same subject i hear like all the time like Every once in a while, you know, you get someone who comes in here has watched too much National Geographic and they're just very much like based on that. And like, like they're not the same animal. I mean, we domesticated, we domesticated it and generations of breeding. And we've talked about this for a long period of time, too. Generations of breeding and training and genetic modification in those senses and creating new behaviors have drastically changed. That's so the comparison is almost or irrelevant in that sense, right? Absolutely. And when one of the other issues, and this is common with all things, and I'm going to draw a comparison here that'll be relevant and you'll understand it, is like people can watch, the, three people can watch the same thing and see three completely different things based on their experience level. For example, you know, I remember when I was heavily involved in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And one of the things we did a lot of, you know, this is like the early 2000s, we went to, we always watched the fights. In the beginning, we used to go to, you know, wing house was the thing down here. We, you know, we'd always go to a wing house or a Hooters. Um, subsequently, we stopped going in public because it was just causing too many problems. Um, <laughs> but one of the things, and, and I'm, I know you've experienced this, is when you understand fighting, or combat sports. I try not to. I try not to use the word fighting because it's not fighting. Um, when you understand either through participation or study combat sports, and you watch an MMA fight, you're going to see something very different. Yeah. Than the guy pounding his third pitcher of beer, who maybe punched some guy once who was smaller than him at a bar, and that's it. Like you're gonna you're gonna see things very differently, and especially coming from a, a grappling background, you know, you'd watch people saying, "Oh, look at that guy. He doesn't know what he's doing," or you know, he's scared. And then you subsequently watch the person submit them. Like, no, they were actually doing something very intentional, and that's not what you thought it was. And it yeah. well, it's the same thing with people watching, you know, wolves, for example. And one of the, and I know again, you'll you've heard this before, but. We can't have this conversation on any level without talking about alpha rolling. Uh, yep. Like we can't, like we have to talk about it. It's one of the most misunderstood elements of canine behavior out there from people watching and then they'll watch a wolf and two, again, two people can watch it and see something completely different. A lot of people erroneously think that, you know, the dominant wolf is physically putting the lower ranking member on their back 
hence alpha rolling them. When in reality, the overwhelming majority of the time, the lower dog rolling over is not a result of some physical, strategic, violent maneuver by the higher ranking one. It's actually a voluntary behavior by the lower one as an appeasement, as a, hey, I get it. Hey, you're the boss. Now they can be on the bottom growling and snarling, looking like they're upset and they might very well be upset, but they're voluntarily doing that as opposed to being physically done, which is what, you know, a very old school approach to like showing your dog, their boss, toss them on their back. Yeah. And now to further complicate this, this is why this is whole thing is such a crap show is when you're watching domestic dogs. Yes. That appeasement behavior all the time. I would, I, I need to record Elmo and Luna because I've mentioned it before. Elmo is like a savant at diffusing conflict with other dogs. Like his natural ability and how he moves his body and his appeasement behaviors are unreal. They're so manipulative too. It's fascinating. He will voluntarily throw himself on his back to de-escalate situations with her when he sees her getting a little too serious. However, when you're watching two particularly male dogs where there is not a clear line of rank. There is not a clear delineation, meaning typically this happens with a number, I call it like a number two type dog, meaning he is not genetically an alpha. He is just not a natural leader, but he really thinks he's a badass and he absolutely wants to take a shot at the title. Now, when that's when violence occurs, in social hierarchies, when someone is actually challenging because the other one. Now, sometimes in those conflicts, you will see one of the dogs grabbing the other one by the throat and you will see him throwing him on the ground and you will see him posturing. And that is, that's not an appeasement behavior by number two. No, he literally got tossed. And people then see that and then say, no, KD, it's not always, a, it's not an appeasement behavior. He literally tossed him. And I'll say, yep, you're right. In that situation with those two dogs in that moment, yeah. So there, there's no, you see the potential for confusion is people are just like, well, wait a minute. You're saying sometimes it's appeasement. Sometimes it's not. Oh, and then people are just like, I don't want to invest this much thought into it. Let me just come up with my own conclusion based on my personal bias. Yeah, I mean, thinking about it in that way, it's like it's blanket statements for everything. You know, that's blanket statements when it uh, when it appeals to them. You know, when it, the blankets that fit on their bed are the ones that they want to see or hear all the time, right? It's not the ones that actually work. I mean, if you think, of, I mean, like the way Alpha Roland was introduced to me was, as you can imagine, you know, you got to show them who's boss, you know, hold them till their tail tucks, type of weird, you know, stuff like that. And, you know, the one thing I've noticed, like, I didn't have, again, I didn't have a vast, you know, large, lengthy, yearly experience around wolves um, or just just enduring research, you know, but a lot of, like you said before, a lot of that is volunteered because what we said earlier is a lot of the the behaviors are just a little more exaggerated than what you see and not a little, a lot more. So they submit a little bit differently. Their communication is a little bit differently where if you look at dogs and I have, I have a house full of how many, how, many, how many dogs do I have right now? I have 11 dogs right now. Um, and I just got two new puppies. Uh, so we have 11 dogs right now, but I have most of my Mental dogs health right check. now. Yeah, you know, doing good. 
Um, <laughs> but the the one thing like I've noticed like with even like my own dogs, like you know, they don't really they don't they don't offer those submissive positions. And like you said before, like you know, you have like your very much dominant like my dog's Aussie, um, you know, very dominant male. Cerberus is a dominant male, but he doesn't express it that way. You know, he's the dog who will be fine until he's pushed and then he goes into that mode of like, nope, that's not going to happen. And then Zilla, who essentially you kind of uh, described as like the number two, like he's like the number two dog where he's giant sissy. And I talk about him all the time. He's the one I use all my fancy obedience stuff with. Um, but he's not he's not that guy. And he thinks he's that guy. And so he I generally do not allow like inner ranking within my in, in my pack of my own personal pack of dogs. Like I just try to keep it as like, OK, humans are here. You guys are just right here don't be you know don't be dicks and like everyone will be fine just because i don't want to encourage like all that ranking stuff i just don't allow them to do it but zilla and this happened when bobby got introduced into the pack that little american bull that we have he started okay like now i'm gonna see what i can do a little bit and he quickly found out that he's a number two dog and not a number one dog uh but that's like one of the only things i've ever been like all right well you're asking for it now dude you're pissed off Cerberus, so and it's the same thing. It's basically what you described it as, right? It's not like the dog offered that position to go into like the down. It was just like, nope, didn't like that because he nipped him and then he nipped him back in the service, just like pinned him. And next, you know, it's like he's on his side, you know, growling or whatever. But I just tell him no and everything stops. But it's just like those one things. There is no blanket. It's all individuals. You know, the dogs themselves. I mean, shoot, I have most of my dogs here are related in some form or fashion within two or three generations. And they're all incredibly different from each other. Some of the physical traits and some of the genetic traits in when it comes to like things that we breed for, like how they work when they're on the hunt, you know, their hunt drive, you know, how they work when they're in the fight, you know, when they're, are they sensitive to their feet, certain parts of their body lifting very, very similar. But when it comes to personalities and, and dealing with conflict can be very different, especially when it comes to interpersonal conflict and when it comes to the hierarchy stuff. Like that's a vastly different thing. So blanket statement, because everyone that hits us up, and Katie, I'm sure you get this too, or like if you had like your, like for example, it's Almo's blood. Like people are like, oh, well you have a, you know, a, a so-and-so's blood dog. How how do you deal with this? I'm like, oh, like your dog could be completely different than my dog. You know, we're not, we're not reproducing clones. You know, we're, we're not doing anything like that, but there is no real blanket statement to that stuff. I think that's what people search for a lot. And that's another reason why I don't really, research heavily too much in the theories i guess if that would make sense because like one it's mm -hmm. not my cup of tea but like i don't really research too much into it because i i guess this how i learned is by watching other dogs and working with other dogs because i felt like that would be more that's more of a direct form of learning right there and then because a lot of times when you especially when you get like new dog trainers in and doing apprentices like they're like oh, i was hoping you're gonna say that yeah because like you know you know i teach a lot of dog trainers right so it's like well, do you know like this theory and then that theory and then this theory? And I'm like, like, why do you like doesn't affect like what's going on? It doesn't what we're doing here. But then again, you know, like we talked about blanket statements, just because it doesn't doesn't work that way for me or how I learn things, doesn't mean it's not going to work for them. So I try not to blanket it too much. But I do. I have noticed the higher percentage rate of confusion is based on people who dive too much into that with little to no hands-on experience. Yes. And if we can, and, and we need to sidebar right there and, and really talk to any of the dog trainers watching this and, and, and double down on what you just said. For example, 
I read that stuff for two reasons. One, I'm just a curious mofo. Like, that's just me. <laughs> you know, we're talking about was, somebody who memorized the encyclopedia of dogs when, like, how old were you or something like that? <laughs> oh, like, uh, you know, 11, 12, 13. And, and that's what I was going to say. I was like, you're talking to an only child with no kids my age that lived around me with a library card. Like all I did was, was read stuff. So one, I'm predispositioned to enjoy that type of stuff Two, because honestly reading these studies is not enjoyable. With that being said, it's really not that enjoyable. It's pretty rough reading the actual research. I will engage in that activity to better prepare myself to have discussions like this and to have discuss to make posts like I made today, because I'm aware that people, in particular, you know, dog trainers that I might interact with, with in, in any capacity to hopefully get them to think or reevaluate things. I know they've read some of it, and very few of them have read the actual studies. Many of them are reading editorials. That's a separate topic. You people know the difference. Um, they're coming to me. They're going to their clients. They're going to the world referencing this data or parts of it or their interpretation of it. So for me to be able to help them in any way, shape, or form because of the nature of the activities that I participate in, like I got to know that stuff. I got to read that so that I can break it down in things like I did on Facebook and things like we're doing right now. The more a dog trainer spent, more time they spend reading the less time they spend doing nope. and they have to take what they read and put it on the shelf and then go work with a crap ton of dogs and see how things play out with an objective mind. You cannot ask questions for the purpose of validation, ask questions and do experiments for the purpose of learning, which is why so much of this science that's out there now it doesn't even meet the minimum standard of this, of you know, the scientific method. A hypothesis, when you form a hypothesis of something, in general, your experiment should be designed to prove your hypothesis wrong, not prove it right. That's how you in, inherently battle potential bias. You you actually are looking to prove it wrong, to be sincere, to be authentic. And many of the, much of the stuff that's out there now that's contemporary. No, that study was designed from the beginning to produce a result that went along with the hypothesis. So people read this stuff for validation and then they go out and they're blind to what's actually happening with the dogs. So that's a, a big word of caution to, to dog trainers out there. And case in point, you know, so many of them are still tossing around dominance theory in discussions where it has no place. Dominance theory nor its subsequent debunking have, have hardly any relevance to the domestic dog living with a human. Does that make sense? I think I'll have to do like the, the dumbed down version, you know, for people who may not read as many books as you, KD, but, but it does make sense. It's like the dominance theory itself is not really when you talk about like the structure, like alpha, all that other things. And how they, how, you know, like alpha rolling or, you know, being dominant towards your dogs isn't really necessary when it comes to the pet 
you know, pet side of the world, right? When it comes to the relationship, is that what you're talking about? Kind of, sort of. I, I think this is a perfect opportunity just to clarify what dominance theory said. First, you got David Meech saying erroneously, which he recanted, that his observations of Wolfpack was that there's, you know, he documented all of these behaviors, these dominance rituals, behaviors that the dog exhibits that we would attribute to a dominant type behavior, an expression of dominance. And at first he kind of walked away saying that, you know, like there's this alpha wolf who like fought their way to the top. Yeah. And then after him, Rudolf Schenkel, Schenkel, I think it was, observed wolves in captivity, which is a totally different situation. And these were non-related wolves that were put together. Now, in that situation, like, he did observe conflict. He observed some other stuff we'll talk about later. But from those two things, somebody went out and extrapolated, like, completely came up with this idea about dogs, which none of these observations were on dogs, by the way. They were on wolves. That, And this is the, the easiest way to summarize it. Your dog is in a constant quest to be number one. And you must be vigilant in your expressions that you are in fact number one. And the way that they suggested you do that was by recreating some of these dominance rituals that wolves express with one another. You should be doing that with your dog. Hence the one we talk about most, the alpha role. And, you know, this this then spiraled off into, well, this is how you should train your dog. And, and I'm a big believer in, in differentiating between training your dog obedience and teaching your dog how to live with you, like two different yep. things. Um, but needless to say, that was dominance theory. You, you constantly have to be participating in these dominance rituals because your dog is constantly trying to test you. Meech later through further observation was like, oh crap. Um, actually, <laughs> what I observed was a mother and a, a breeding pair and the pack was comprised of puppies that remained. And it's kind of like mom and dad are already in charge by default. And all these rituals are simply not to establish dominance, but to maintain it. It was already established by birth. It was already yeah. established because that's mom and that's dad. So he has to like, whoa, he backtracks. Which then leads a growing modern community of people who absolutely abhor any concept of social hierarchies to say, dominance theory has been debunked, which it was. But then, and this is my, one of my favorite phrases, they threw the baby out with the bathwater. What Meech actually said when he recanted, when he adjusted his position, was just the method by which the hierarchy was established. He was like, no, it was it was because of they're just the parents. They control everything. That's it. He didn't say, and he has spent his entire life, by the way, repeating what I'm about to say, because everyone brings this to him. He never said that social hierarchy is not real. 
he never said that it didn't it doesn't exist and this is what the progressive perspective is like social hierarchy isn't real there is no such thing it's like nobody ever said that in any of the research so when social when we say dominance theory was debunked it means that particular theory that your every single dog is always trying to be the boss that was debunked. It doesn't mean that there is no social hierarchy. It doesn't mean that there is no relationship between individual dogs and individual humans. It, it, it doesn't. That's why I call it a straw man fallacy. It actually has nothing to do with it. And that's the beginning. That's the root of the massive misunderstandings. And, and then I go on to talk about, well, okay, let's talk about dogs. Anybody know who Frank Beach is? Frank Beach was a researcher out of Berkeley who observed for, I think it was 19 years, um, domestic dogs in group slash like dog park type settings where you just take a bunch of dogs and put them together. And, like and what did he observe? Head. He observed amongst the males, rigid hierarchies, rigid, meaning there wasn't much mobility. The females, it, it, it kind of, it changed. And he also noticed that something that you, you and I both know and anybody in the working dog world knows, there are some dogs, they are alpha or they are number one, not because they beat everybody up in a battle royal. They're number one because they were born number one, meaning that's who they are. And this applies to people too. You Men should be aware of this. Like, you know, when you meet that mofo, that OG, you've, we, you've heard the phrase, we use it. You're, you're, you're not that guy. Well, yeah, yeah. You're not that guy. Well, who is that guy? He's the quietest, potentially most affectionate, generous, coolest, quietest guy in the room. Why? Because he's the most dangerous and he has absolutely no need to express or try to prove anything. And those, you know, that's what you're looking for in the working dog world. You're looking for that yep. dog that is absolutely a monster, but he's like the least aggressive. Why? Because he doesn't have to be. So when a dog meets another dog like that, there's no fight. They shove each other's noses up each other's asses. They get a whiff and they go, oh, you're that guy. And there's no problems. Now, maybe number one has to assert, display some dominant rituals, dominance rituals every once in a while to remind some of these folks, hey, don't you forget, buddy. And that's how they do it. It's like, hey, buddy, don't you forget. Yeah. And then there are the ones who are a little bit below. That's the guy who quite possibly could be dangerous. He, he probably could knock some people out and get into it, but he has some insecurity and he uses that violence to prove who he is because he's insecure about who he is. Those individuals, when we're talking about humans, are typically more prone to violence. They are more expressive with that violence because they're actually using violence to try to establish an identity that they want to be because they're not it. Yeah. The advertisement. Yes. The advertisement is not meat. <laughs> exactly. Get the product. So what Beach noticed was that there are some individual dogs who they're just, that's who they are. Nobody messes with them. You know who fights all the time? All the number twos and threes. Yeah. And they typically will be socially isolated because no one likes that. No one likes a tyrant. No one likes a jerk. You're always beating people up. You're a bully. Like nobody, nobody wants to deal with that. 
Well, we, well, what does that mean? Well, it means that dogs are individuals and they bring different temperaments and they bring different personalities. So do people. Yeah. So if we're talking to a dog trainer who goes into a pet home, well, what do you do? Well, you have to look at well, what, what dog do they have? Now, most of them don't have number ones because they just don't have access to that type of breeding. Every once in a while, we'll get one. And that's always fun. Lots of times they'll get, I do see a lot of twos and threes. I see jerky dogs who want to be a leader, who want to be in charge, but they suck at it. They're not good leaders. And because the individual human that they live with is completely unaware of all this, and because the individual human that they live with might not be a number one themselves, that's where you get the conflict. That's where you get the problems. And that's the last person you should be telling to alpha roll their dog because they're going to get their face bit off because that dog's going to go, you're not that guy. You don't do that to me. Yep. They will call that bluff real quick. Yes. And then you have other people who are like, I alpha roll my dog all the time and they're great. Okay. Is that correlation or is that causation? Meaning if you have a human being who is just a, who's that guy? He's just, they're just natural. They're just, that's who they are. Listen, the dog are, the dog already knows that. The <laughs> dog knows that the minute they stick their nose up your crotch, like they know who you are. So when that person proceeds to do whatever method to the dog, of course the, the dog's going to go with it, not because of the method, not because of the action, but because of who that person is already. It was a, the, the conclusion was already there before the method was applied. So when you take that method and you apply it to someone who isn't that guy. Yep. There's going to be some, uh, I think that's like one of the, one of the big, like that's just totally onto that thought. Well, I have two questions, two things for you. One, what is, and when you said earlier, so we, there was a trainer back in San Jose who practiced, who was very much into the wolf aspect of training. And it's probably the weirdest, like weirdest thing I've ever heard when it comes to training to show dominance. And it wasn't nothing like physical. It wasn't anything like, oh, you got to smack your dog or do whatever you got to do like that. The, tra the, the trainer advised the clients to one, spit in the dog's mouth and then two, spit in the dog's food to let them know that that's your, their is their food <laughs> it said to, to do that and then the lady told me this because i i don't i meet a lot of people a lot of a lot of clients like tons and you already know my memory is dog shit like sorry g i think that's okay to say on youtube you know it's it's bad right so this is roughly six seven years ago and i still remember this vividly and i was stunned i was just like uh and i'm still kind of very similar i don't really like talking shit i like i don't like to bad them out i don't know the person so i'm not gonna say anything bad but i was just like i've never heard of that um maybe it works for wolves i don't even because even that time i was like i think i barely got the opportunity to start working with our see uh some wolves in minnesota but i was like dude I was like what the so what the... <laughs> so that's the weirdest one i've heard uh and then <laughs> The other thing too is that's the, about the dog trainers having the ability to work, you know, with the dog a certain way before the client can. That's a lot of the time. A lot of the reason why I advise my trainers to never take the leash from the the handler unless we're working on something very specific, so they can't teach it because what one what may work for them may not work for the the handler, and then it creates frustration. All these things where you can teach them how to do it or at least devise a plan 
for that well that works for that individual person and that individual dog so you have to be like right there by seeing it work with it which kind of goes into becoming a dog trainer is not you know the really dog trainers but you know understanding the math that like you said sometimes you can get a level two dog in a house and you've got like a level four human and that same house too or you know one human through whatever it may be you know the mathematics have to line up but that's kind of like our job is to see what see who's where and everything yeah that was my two cents with that one, Katie. <laughs> I love it. Now I have heard about the spit thing. You know, it's a common thing, dude. Because I thought for sure, because yeah. I haven't heard it. Well, since. not anymore. No, I, okay. I mean, I'm talking like 20 years ago. I heard it all the time. Oh, <laughs> yeah, 20 years ago. I mean, I mean, that was like a staple. That was spit the deal. your dog's food. Always eat in front of your dog before they eat. Uh, that one, yeah. Uh, walk out of the doorway first. Like there was all of these. Like again, this is something I preach about all the time. You know method versus principle like these methods and it's like yeah no that that no um but a funny thing about the spit thing is i just want to ask these people have you ever seen a dog spit <laughs> I, i've seen a lot of dogs dude i'm pretty familiar with dog anatomy like i enjoy the dog's anatomy and how they move and how they function i don't even they don't have they don't have lips that work that way like they don't know how to spit as much as luna will spit her ball in and out that ain't the same type of spitting like i've never seen dogs spit um the second thing you said is probably appropriate to finish with because i mean we could i could do three hours on this and this is why i need to be on joe rogan like I want to talk to Joe Rogan about this because I can tie this stuff in to social constructs of Western civilization, like seamlessly, but we don't have time for that. So we'll take number two, what you said, and we'll kind of summarize my whole point to the post I made on this very specific element of this greater topic, which is, yeah, dude, you gotta read the person. And you got to read the dog. You have to know who they are because this crap is not cookie cutter. And if you got, and we'll run with these numbers that we're using because it makes sense. If you got like a number, a, a level five person, number one being like, you're just that guy, 10 being you piss yourself at when the wind changes direction. Um, if you're like a number five, if, if a client is a number five and they got a dog, that's a four or three, you have to implement very specific interventions that you probably wouldn't if someone was a three and the dog was a three, or if, if they were a little closer. You know, if you have a person who really struggles with being assertive as a human being, someone who is emotionally fragile, someone who is struggling with their own identity and that journey, and they got a mofo of a dog, you're actually going to create interventions that many times for the safety of everyone, if they're going to keep a dog, remove conflict. And this is something that working dog handlers, the good ones understand because they got number, they got number twos and number ones dogs. They know like you're not going to be in a battle to be top dog. You form a cooperative relationship. You, you use a lot of management and not putting yourself and that dog in positions that just you don't need to be in. The difference is frequently the working dog handler, not every time, but it's easier for many working dog folks, especially not like uh, civilians, but like police, military, they don't necessarily live with their dog 
in the same context that a pet owner would. So it makes it really easy to compartmentalize their life and be much more cooperative. When you have a pet dog home, like their, their life isn't that compartmentalized. Like they live together. Like that's not why they got a dog to keep it in a crate all the time. You have to figure out different strategies for when to avoid conflict. And then at the same time, give them things and education so that they can manage the stuff that does have to happen in an effective way. For example, you know, the, the pushy dog who's constantly nuzzling and pawing for affection. Well, it's like, yeah, no, you can't pet him right then. That's a non-conflict way. It's not that you're establishing dominance. You're not yeah. establishing leadership. What you're doing is you're not feeding the other monster. You're not reinforcing the dog's dominance. You're not reinforcing the dog's quest for in that moment control. And this is the nuance of this. And it has absolutely nothing to do with science. It has nothing to do with wolves. It has to do with being an objective thinker, being able to identify who's who and appropriately provide the interventions. Cause I got some people who I might, I might put them in situations with their dog where there is a little bit of conflict because I know they're capable of winning. And in that situation, that dog needs to experience that. And then there's other cases where I'm like, no, we're not even going to freaking go there. That ain't science, man. That's experience. Yep. And that's, that's all things that dog trainers should, uh, Learn and understand, you know, the or most people in general, not even dog trainers, just people with pets. You, know, you can't really base a lot on, and correct me if I'm wrong, this can't really base a lot on scientific studies because the scientific study is not based on the situation you have right in front of you or it's, with you. Oh, there, so. dude, like someone needs to clip that. <laughs> note, note to the, to the media experts, that's one of the clips for this video. Like, I love how you said that, dude. Simplified, bro. Simplified. Dude, I love how you said that. Boom. Oh, so at the end of the day, social hierarchies are real. Relationships are real. Don't talk about dominance theory because there's no point in it. Just focus and, on having the most functional relationship with your dog possible. And if you are interested in reading Katie's post, uh, today is Tuesday, May 30th, 2023. Just in case the people who are watching this later on YouTube or on Spotify or listen on Spotify, so you guys can catch that. All right, Mr. Matthews. Where can people get a hold of you and how do they get a hold of you? Instagram is always a great place. I love Instagram at KD Matthews at one T there's a link right below us. Um, by all means, check out that Facebook post. We can put a link to that as well. My website is Socratic canine canine is spelled out. It's not the K and it's not the nine dot uh, com. Any of those ways are an easy, quick way to get in touch with me, whether you're a dog trainer looking to be better at what you do or your dog owner. Looking to have more fun and a better life with your dog. I got you back. There we go. And big shout out to our sponsors, Ray Allen uh, Manufacturing, rayallen.com forward slash K9SL. Make sure you use the discount code PRIMAL10, all caps. So yeah, brother, it's, it's a great episode 39. We're on to 40. You can lose 40 of these things. Dude. Um, and continue to grow. So much, uh, much love and tons of fun. And again, guys, Please uh, help by sharing this uh, comment. If you have any topics you guys want to talk about, go ahead and comment about it. Share it with your friends. Um, you know, we want to get involved with you as much as possible and talk about things and topics that you guys are, are interested in. So make sure you guys 
comment, share, like all that stuff below or wherever you're watching or listening to this too. Yeah, tag Joe Rogan. Yeah, let's get Katie on Joe Rogan. I, I want to see that one. <laughs> all right, man. Good talking to you. Likewise. Thank you, brother.